you're a great professional, but tell me you're going to get absolutely rotten tonight, like me. <laughs> Possibly. Oh, Come on, Jordan, go for it, lad. Enjoy yourself. Cheers, hey! Carol. <laughs> so Christmas has come early at the Red Agenda as we give thanks to Liverpool's wise men. Seventh heaven against Palace and yet another festive number one for the team. I'm Steve Hothersall and bringing the presents as always on the Red Agenda, James Pierce. <laughs> Why are you laughing, Simon Hughes? And Kiva <laughs> O'Neill. Clearly he's not bought any Christmas <laughs> presents whatsoever. Um, it's the Red Agenda. And right now, if you subscribe to The Athletic, you can give another subscription as a gift for free. There you go. That's what Cy could do. It's the perfect present for any football fan this Christmas. Enjoy great analysis, in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all the podcasts. Say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage for the whole year. It's the perfect Prezi for yourself and for someone else. Just go to theathletic.com slash Liverpool pod. That's theathletic.com slash Liverpool pod and sign up. Simon Hughes, it's the answer for all those later <laughs> Christmas presents that you need to sort out. Steve, I'm sorted, I'm sorted. <laughs> I don't know what you're going on about. <laughs> right, moving week for Liverpool. Uh, their biggest Premier League win of the season, top of the league at Christmas for, for a third year running. Pretty fantastic, sign. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, it, again, it sort of says a lot about the success of this Liverpool team, really. I know we've discussed in previous podcasts about how pretty much everything that could have gone wrong the first half of this season for Liverpool has gone wrong in terms of injuries, absences, some bad results, some absolutely astoundingly unusual performances in, in, in those results. But the top of the league, again, uh, by a, a reasonable distance as well at this stage. So, yeah, it's looking good for Liverpool. The, I, I always think that if they can get to the end of January within touching distance at the top or being top, you would fancy them at the end of the season because uh, they, they always they always finish strongly. I mean, the record in the last three months of each of the last three seasons has been pretty pretty incredible, really. So it, it was a really, you know, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about the Palace game, but the, you know, the, the, the level of finishing at, at Selhurst Park was just incredible. Um, it felt to me that they, they got a, a massive amount of confidence from the uh, victory over Spurs. Um, you know, the, the, the finishing was just out of this world. And I don't think I've seen a game where Liverpool have been as ruthless in front of goal as that. Yeah, proper clinical stuff. A, a real masterclass, Kiva. And I suppose early Saturday kickoffs aren't really the problem <laughs> that, that maybe Jurgen was alluding to. No, absolutely not. I mean, there's always a worry going into those games, isn't there? That Liverpool might feel a little bit tired, but obviously, you know, the Champions League's all done and dusted. And I think winning, winning Tottenham midweek just gave them that, that spark and energy, didn't it? You know, that was a real feel-good win. I think that goal is probably more important than any of the seven Liverpool scored against Palace, wasn't it, in terms of the mood in the camp? You know, after, I think, disappointing sort of games in the past few weeks against Fulham, Brighton, you sort of carry them with you. And then, obviously, when you beat Tottenham, who are your title rivals, it feeds into this thing, doesn't it? And then Liverpool just go and produce an absolute masterclass. But I don't think Crystal Palace's actual performance, particularly after Minamino's goal, there was about half an hour, wasn't there, between the next goal? I don't think their performance can be just overlooked. I thought they were actually really good. You know, they played well and Liverpool just sort of took them apart in, in the most 
festive fashion, didn't he? <laughs> uh, let's bring James into it. Plenty of sensational finishes. Scored seven. Let's let's all go through them because they were they were seven special goals, weren't they? I mean, you, you could score seven and you might have some tap-ins, but this felt like a proper demonstration, James. Yeah, it really did. It was you know the the quality was just absolutely on a on a different planet, wasn't it? Minamino, you know, what will that do for him? A first Premier League goal, you know, he's waited nearly an entire year for that moment. And, you know, I thought he took that absolutely brilliantly, you know, to be so cool and calm in that position and to take a couple of touches before finding the bottom corner. You know, Sadio Mane, something about Crystal Palace that brings out the best in him. I think it was that seven successive meetings with them that he's scored in. And, you know, he was on obviously the longest barren run of his Liverpool career. Yet, you know, you wouldn't have known it the way he turned and, and absolutely hammered that one in, into the corner. And then Kiva mentions then about the, the feel-good factor generated by Tottenham in midweek. And I think that was probably perfectly illustrated by the spring in the step of Roberto Firmino. You know, I know Klopp always defends him and rightly so because he gives so much to this team. But the reality is he's a centre-forward and centre-forwards feed off scoring goals. And, and, and you sense that, that was a huge moment for him, that header in the last minute against Tottenham. And, and so it proved because you know they were two absolutely sublime finishes at the weekend. I mean, I think his first goal was probably my favourite one of the seven, you know, with him starting that counter-attack not far outside his own area, sweeping the ball out to Robertson. You know, the, the movement and the quality of the ball from Robertson and then the way that Firmino just took it in his path and, and rolled it into the corner. And his his second one was up there as well, wasn't it? With, I think, I think Salah picking him out and um, that unbelievably high-quality dink over the keeper. And then, you know, when you throw into the mix as well, you know, the sight of Oxlade-Chamberlain coming on and playing a part. I think it was in the seventh goal. And of course, you know, Mo Salah had his feet up for an hour and still came on and scored twice. It was just about the perfect day. Let's go back to Minamino, two minutes in. Side, big moment for him. Such a fab finish. Again, one of those goals where had a great first touch and then a brilliant finish. But is he a player who's been carrying a weight on his shoulders playing for Liverpool? He's found it very hard, I think, because he is a different sort of player, really. You know, you know, you sort of look at the archetypal Liverpool player, they're very physically strong, aren't they? You know, each player's got really powerful upper body strength and lower body strength, and he's a bit more delicate, really. And you wouldn't say he was the sort of player that Jürgen Klopp would normally sign. And I think he's found it difficult trying to find his position in the team. There was a feeling at the start of the season that he could play instead of Firmino sometimes because of the way he, he drops deeper and brings other players into play. But I thought his position was quite interesting on Saturday, playing off the left of the three. It seemed to suit him because he could drift infield and and add to the numbers in, in that area. And that's sort of where his goal came from and let, let Robertson bob on in the space left behind down the side. And I mean, his, 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 his goal... So it's uh, summed up the way all the Liverpool goals really in terms of it was sort of a delicate follow by a, you know a devastating finish really clinical as as Kiva said that the first half Palace had enough chances to have gained a, gained a decent foothold in the game but I just think you know that that's where the difference is people forget you know you've got to have players up at the top end of the pitch who's going, who are going to score goals and, and and deliver when it matters and Liverpool have that in a way that Palace probably don't quite and it tells in game so but yeah. Minamino I thought was really impressive and, and I'm sort of looking forward to seeing more of him really because 
he was excellent for, for Salzburg and then both, well, certainly the first game at Anfield against Liverpool and then in, in a lot of the other Champions League games. And he hasn't quite managed to find his place in the team, but maybe that might prove to be the place, you know, off, off the left where he can, he's got a bit more freedom in what he does. So yeah, he, he was very impressive throughout the whole game, I thought. Absolutely. Let, let's go to Sadio Mane's goal then, which James uh, touched upon. Two touch, quick feet turned um, Nathaniel Cly, sixth goal of the season, but he got nine without a goal. You'd have to go back to the away day at Atalanta in the Champions League for his last one, Kiva, which is rather unusual for Sadio Mane. Yeah, it is. And it didn't feel like he'd gone that long, did it? It sort of feels like he scores every game, just the, the energy that he puts in. But obviously he hadn't. So that goal was massively important. And you could tell he really wanted to take it as soon as the ball sort of clambered into his feet. He you know, got a little bit of a touch and then he hit it straight away. And you know, it was a really smart finish, wasn't it? And then obviously comes off in the second half, I think was, was it for Salah maybe. And you know, he was really, really disappointed, wasn't he? And the camera kept uh, panning to him and you know, he, he didn't look a happy guy at all, but that's his hunger. He thought, you know, Palace were there for the taking and he, he wanted two or three more, didn't he, I think, just to get that goal tally back where it should be. And I think that's great to see, you know, the camera's panning almost to say, oh, look at this, like, you know, he's he's really, like, angry and, you know, is there a bit of a something there with that? But it, it's not, it's just pure hunger, isn't it? And I think that hunger and that mentality is something that for the past three, two or three seasons has set Liverpool apart in world football. You know, we obviously had that little instance at Burnley and it was sort of similar. Salah obviously coming on for Mane and, you know, obviously uh, when Salah didn't pass them that day or whatever and, you know, there was sort of as though there was some kind of rivalry there and the only real rivalry is just this Liverpool team wanting to all play at the absolute best, isn't it? It's a great, it's a great bit of pantomime, isn't it? Because it, you know, whenever Salah or Mane gets brought off, neither of them is going to be a happy keeper. No, absolutely not. And that's what you want to see. You want to see them throwing water bottles and kind of being like, oh, you know, because that hunger's there, which I've mentioned. And I think you could look at it negatively, couldn't you? But why would you when Liverpool, you know, they were were absolutely cruising. And, you know, with all the injury concerns we've had this season, get them off and uh, wrapped up in cotton wool and keep keep them on the sidelines, get some ice wherever he needs it and keep them safe because, you know, this is such a rare opportunity Liverpool have got now. Um, you know, they were cruising, they can bring off the best player, one of the best players. And obviously now they've got a good week of, you know, I know they'll be training, but rest, there's no midweek game. And you know, they've only got two games to sort of see out the year, which after such an onslaught of games since football came back, you know, this is a, a great time for Liverpool to maybe feel like, you know, things are going right. You know, the top of the league for Christmas and players are starting to come back. The likes of Thiago, you know, those pitches last week broke Twitter, didn't they, of him out training a Kirby and just feel like the team now is in such a good place after, you know, some, some great management from, from Klopp. What was really nice about the, the Mane goal, and I'll come to you, Sai, because I think you might know um, the guy behind this, was it was his celebration. We saw a little bit about the, the man behind the footballer. So he turned, pointed to the sky, and afterwards uh, quite a lot was made of the fact he'd, he'd done that after speaking with a young guy called Lee Swan, who's, who helps out at the Flory, which is a fantastic place in Liverpool. The two were sort of put in touch over something the club had done, an advertising campaign. And, uh, and Lee had been taken to Anfield and had a, a shot at goal, but he'd also spoken to Sadio. Just an example that it's not just all about the football for Sadio Mane. Yeah, well, you see him on the pitch and he's so focused and he looks angry a lot of the time, as we sort of touched on. 
you know, he's scowling all the time. He, he never looks happy. I, th- I just think that's the way he is on a football pitch. You know, he, some players are, are just like that. And but off the pitch, he's 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 um, he's quite the opposite, really. He's he's quite relaxed and laid back, and and quite a quite softly spoken in some ways. And I, I did find that quite interesting because obviously he went from that moment of exhilaration and focus in scorns. What was again, you know, keep using that word, devastating finish. To remembering, you know, the, the conversation that he's had and decided to, you know, sort of dedicate the goal really with, with his celebration. So it was it was a really nice moment. You don't you don't tend to see that sort of thing very often. And um, he's clearly very socially aware mm. of his of his responsibilities, isn't he? I think. Yeah. So again, just to explain it properly, Lee Swan helps out at the Flory. Lee's granddad always celebrated in that way, and Lee had told. Sadio Mane on a video call about how he liked to celebrate so Sadio almost dedicated it to him which I think was amazing well done to Timo down at the Flory for sort of setting up the connection between the two let's go to Firmino's goal you mentioned it before James but I think the assist from Andy Robertson and how he's weighed in with assists now so five this season 35 since he came from Hull these are astounding figures. Yeah, they they really are. I think you could make a, a strong case for Andy Robertson being Liverpool's player of the season so far. I think he's been, you know, nothing short of of, of sensational from from the word go this season. He, he just gets better and better and better, doesn't he? I think, you know, he, he had that you know difficult start to to life at Liverpool when you wondered you know whether he was quite up to the grade. But yeah, you know, he had to bide his time. But it, since then, he's just gone from strength to strength and. I don't think there's a better left back around. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't swap him for anyone, would you? And and you know those numbers speak for themselves. And you know, again, he made a very difficult pass look ridiculously easy with that that wand of a left foot that he's got. And um, yeah, it, it's funny. I don't know whether, despite we haven't seen much of Costa Simicus, I think just maybe even psychologically, you know, the fact that Liverpool went and and got another left back in the summer probably has taken his game to the next level because he. In that back of his mind now, he does know that, you know, if there's any little slip-ups, if, if standards do slip, his place, you know, could, could be in jeopardy over the next season or two. But um, he certainly responded absolutely magnificently to that that increase in in competition. And he's, yeah, he's going to be, you know, obviously with, with Simicus out now, probably till February. Liverpool need him to, to keep on producing at that level because, um, you know, when he delivers balls like that, it's it's almost impossible to defend against. And, and dare I say it, James, but he consistently steps up to the responsibilities, tearing up and down the, the left wing. I don't know you know, how many miles he puts in in a game, but it must be near the top. And yet he's always an ever-present. Yeah, and, and you know how valuable is that, isn't it? I know Klopp touched upon it last week. He was asked about it, and he he, he said he didn't want to talk about it because he didn't want to tempt fate and 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 start talking about how robust and resilient Andy Robertson is because you know football has a habit of when you say things like that, it comes and bites you on the backside. But yeah, I think probably him and Wijnaldum, the miles those two must have covered already this season in in a season unlike any others in terms of the physical demands being placed on players and you know teammates around them have been dropping left, right and centre and this huge injury list. But those two just keep going and going, don't they? And, um, you know, the great thing with Andy Robertson is, I think it was that Champions League game a few weeks back, wasn't there? And you could see he was in a lot of discomfort and you thought, oh, well, you know, he's going to have to come off. And you only had to look at the body language when the physio came on to treat him. And he, he was just, you know, just strap it up, just strap it up, get my boot back on. I'm not, you know, there's absolutely no chance here. I'm, I'm coming off. And not all players have that mindset. You know, the, you get some footballers who have that feeling that, 
you know, I have to be 97, 98% right to play. And if, you know, if there's any doubt in my mind at all, you know, I'd, I'd rather leave it whilst, you know, Robertson is very much in that other camp, isn't it? Whether, um, you know, I think his, his leg would have to be hanging off for, to convince him that he needs to take a breather. Absolutely. Is there still that competition, James, with Trent? Is it still a a bit of an a, an assist duel between the two? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That certainly is. Yeah, yeah. It's a very friendly rivalry. They're, you know, they're very good mates, close, you know, off the pitches. As, as well as on it but um no they, they drive each other on because it's um you know it's always a, it's, it's always a topic of debate in the the dressing room and a, around the the training ground and um both of their numbers are just absolutely ri- ridiculous aren't they and um you know we're talking of assists i think what was that the first time ever in in premier league history that seven different players had, had assisted a goal on the same day which i think also speaks volumes about this team in terms of how they can they can hurt you in so many different ways Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, the host of a special episode of Giant produced by The Athletic. It's the story of Chester City's American dream, a dream that turned into a nightmare. This is Terry Smith. He's coached teams to honours in England, Europe and the United States, one of football's most celebrated coaches, American football that is. Now he wants to conquer another sport. I think I've probably got, uh, you know, more years of coaching experience than just by anyone. Not in soccer. No, not in soccer. Search for Giant on Spotify to listen to the full episode. This is the Red Agenda. I'm Steve Hothersall, Simon Hughes, James Pearce, Kiva O'Neill. And we're finishing the year on a bit of a high, talking about Liverpool's win over Crystal Palace. Let's go to goal four, Simon. Jordan Henderson, the assist from Trent. We'll talk about his BBC Sports Personality Award in a moment or two. But the, the goal itself, the, the technique was special. And a game in which he dominated in the midfield. He's got into that position so many times for Liverpool over the years and I do think that if his goals ratio would have been a bit higher people more widely would view him a bit differently because he does get into good positions but he just hasn't had that sort of uh, finishing ability to change the way people view him I think but that finish was, was again spectacular I, mean, I think I put on Twitter that it, it did remind me a little bit of the, the goal Steven Gerrard scored at Marseille if you remember that one I think it was 2009 where he swept it swept a shot across his sort of his body and it was just just majestic so yeah it just sort of sums up that the, the, you know everything that Liverpool hit on that day went in but I must say again I mean I, th- I thought Jordan Henderson's performance aside from that was was excellent and um, just reminded again what an important player he is I think when he plays as a team Liverpool's focus and attention is a lot better uh, and the tempo at which they play is better the service to the front players is quicker I just think he's he's a really important player now I know I think in, in football now we tend to view players having their peaks at younger at a younger age than we used to but I think he sort of defies convention in that I think he's he's, he's obviously 30 now but I think he's really hitting his peak at, at this age and, and his influence is just enormous so yeah, he's, he's, he's one of the pool's most important players now. Fab to see him on the score sheet. Uh, we mentioned before, of course, Bobby Firmino's chip. Ridiculously good dink. That was goal five. So let's go to, to goal six, which is uh, Mo Salah's reflex header, Kiva. Um, Matip, I, th- I think Matip meant to head it to him so he could head it. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Joe Matip does what he means to do, and that was a... That was an assist, wasn't it? Um, I think the only other assist he's got was in the Champions League final. So, you know, not too bad. 
I love it. I love it when Matip's fit to play. Like he's just an enjoyable guy, isn't he, to watch? Like obviously we know the out of context Matip account and all that that goes with it. But he, he is a cult figure now, and I think he has been for a, a long time. It was such a deft little header, wasn't it? It, it wasn't a header that said I, I'm I'm trying to score. It was a header which said if it just sort of you know put a little touch on it, someone might get a little nick on it, which obviously you know Salah did. Um, I thought Palace's keeper was unlucky not to keep it out, to be honest, because he did get a hand to it. But I think his his good performance came uh, last week against Tottenham, didn't it? And I thought he was unlucky because every sort of goal, apart from that one, was pretty much you know unreachable. He couldn't couldn't get to them, um, and that's how clinical Liverpool were on on the day. But yeah, I love that. Just Salah knowing knowing to be there, and Matip did did know where to sort of place the ball. I think if he would have tried to put more a bit more behind it you would have thought oh he was trying to score but no he he, he always knows what he's doing does Joel it, it's funny when Mo came on I, I turned to my mate and I said oh Mo will be thinking oh god you bring me on at 4-0 what a waste of time this is but he's thinking exactly the opposite isn't he <laughs> how wrong could I be getting that he's thinking I've got to make a statement in this game yeah, absolutely. I think after the comments and stuff about his future, which I'm sure Simon's written a piece on, he'll talk about. But, you know, I think he's he's come on to sort of prove his loyalty almost to Liverpool and prove as well, like, what an important player he is to the club. You know, he, the thing with Salah is, I think it can go under the radar a little bit because, you know, Liverpool have such a good front three and obviously Jota who's, who's now injured coming into the team and such a, a good team in defence, midfield, you know, the they're amazing, aren't they? So it can kind of go under the radar how impressive Salah's goals and stats really are. You know, he's someone who can, if he stays around, you know, he's only 28. If he if he, he stuck around at Liverpool, he's someone who can go on to be, you know, Liverpool's greatest ever player. Like, what an accomplishment that would be, you know. But it's obviously is the question if he does want to stay around at Liverpool. And I don't think, would he want to go anywhere else? I mean... I know Barcelona, Real Madrid and those comments and stuff, but he's playing his best football and has been playing his best football for Liverpool. Obviously, we know with certain players who've left Liverpool, the grass isn't always greener. Obviously, he'd probably be looking to sort of maybe Luis Suarez and thinking, you know, maybe I'll go and it'll be like that. But you've just got to look at the Torreses and in some respects, I know Coutinho's won trophies, but Coutinho as well, you know, it doesn't always work out post-Liverpool, does it? But obviously, you know, the, the draw to go to those clubs is massive but I just I can't see how playing for Liverpool isn't the biggest deal right now because to me it, it feels that way Right well let's get into that a little bit James um, maybe just a quick word on the seventh goal because that was my favourite goal accuracy power Salah fabulous strike by him wasn't it James Yeah I think it was one of those ones I think probably everyone knew Including the the Palace defenders and the goalie, what he was what he was going to try to do, but you're almost powerless to prevent it, aren't you? We we've seen it so many times when he receives the ball in that you know that right hand side and then cuts inside and then you know whips it with his his left foot. You know what was he now? I think what, too clear in the in the race for the golden boot. You know I, I, you, you certainly wouldn't wouldn't bet against him adding another golden boot to his collection this season. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. 
In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. What about this story that Kiva's talking about, James? It sort of popped up out of nowhere, but Salah himself would have known when he spoke to the Spanish media outlet AS that it was going to receive an awful lot of attention. Now, AS is... um, a media outlet that's aligned to Real Madrid, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think p- pretty much well known that it's almost a bit of a mouthpiece for, for Real Madrid at, at times. So, yeah, I think when I saw those comments from Mo Salah, I think, first of all, you just think, well, there, clearly there's some games going on here because, you know, as Simon has written about over the weekend, you know, Mo Salah very rarely speaks to the media, you know, and, and when he does, there's always an ulterior motive, you know, aside from obviously the, the kind of the club media duties and the the kind of uh, rights holding broadcasters that that get their their access to him at times so no there, there would have been some thought gone into this I'm sure with his agent Rami Abbas and um, it's very rare for him to grant an interview so for him to decide to do this with AS it's, it's either the opening shots to, to maybe looking to move on or I think probably more likely a, a game that's going on in terms of getting another contract at Liverpool on better terms because you know, he's, was he got just over two and a half years to run Traditionally, it's around that kind of that mark, two years to go when, you know, you tend to to sit down and discuss things. So, yeah, it's I I didn't I didn't think there was anything particularly out of order with what he said. I just thought it was really interesting that that he that he decided that that was a good thing to do to to grant that interview. You know, I think, I think especially in the COVID situation we're in at the moment, where actually getting access to players is in is actually very difficult. So clearly this was something that, that him and Rami Abbas wanted to do. A little bit baffled, I must say, about the stuff about the captaincy, because, you know, him talking about how he was hurt to be overlooked by Trent. I, I, I struggle to buy into that too much because I just think, you know, really, were you really that bothered? You know, a meaningless dead rubber in the Champions League with it. I'm not, I'm not really having that. I think this is just all part of a, of a bigger picture to, to crank up the pressure on Liverpool to put a big lucrative contract extension under his nose. Either that, or like I said, or the, the first steps towards potentially looking for a new challenge. But um, I, I'd be really surprised if it was the latter, just because. I just don't see Real Madrid or Barcelona as a as a step up from Liverpool right now. It's a, it's a step down. Yeah, I totally agree with you on the captaincy thing. I just think it's a convenient hook to hang the interview on. Si, you, you've written about this. J- just put it in context for people listening to the, the Red Agenda pod in terms of and what James was saying there, how rarely Mo Salah talks to media. I'm sure James will remember, actually. I think I think he was there. The last time he spoke to anybody in the British press was after he scored his 40th goal for Liverpool in his first season. Since then, as, as James said, he's, he's sort of fulfilled his, his contractual obligations uh, with the club when it comes to, you know, Champions League games. And uh, as you, you mentioned, he's picked up a few um, Man of the Match awards in the in the lounges of Anfield before. But that aside, he doesn't speak and he doesn't really like to speak. There's there's a number of reasons for that. I mean, I, I've, I've mentioned it in the piece that coming from Egypt, where he's obviously an absolute god in a country that's quite a difficult one to be a sporting god in a, in a in a politically charged climate he chooses to choose his ways very carefully so 
it's quite interesting actually just scrolling through Twitter now he's just he just put a picture up of himself with a big smiley face so he's obviously trying to prove some sort of a point there I, I mean as as James and I sort of discussed before uh, so I'm sorry if I'm stealing James's thoughts as well but I mean at the moment it's very difficult to get any interview from any football club really because of the pandemic you know all interviews are held on Zoom if they do take place and the clubs are uh, obviously reluctant to put players forward so for him to do an interview in person on Merseyside with the Spanish uh, newspaper, which is so aligned to Real Madrid at this particular point, I think I, th- I think he is trying to make a point here. Uh, I think people are trying to brush it under the carpet and say, "Well, look what he said," but it's not always what they've said; it's why they've done it and how they've said it. And I found that very interesting. And not nothing would have been agreed without the say so of his agents as well, who, as we as we've already mentioned, will be very aware that two years away from his, his contract at the age of 28 now his contract runs until he's 31 it's a big it's a big decision to make it the next couple of years and I think they'll probably want to see from Liverpool a show of confidence he's already one of the highest paid players but do Liverpool want him to stick around for longer and become a, a legend there do they think that he can besides you do, do, do you need these tactics does it does it change anything could he not just simply go to the Liverpool hierarchy or his agent and say look we're two years away what's your plan for for the player yeah I don't think it's as straightforward as that at this particular time as well because obviously Liverpool have have lost north of £100 million in revenues I don't think Liverpool are in a position to be committing a lot of money a big pay rise at this particular time there's still you know only 2,000 fans inside the stadium I know we're saying that we're hoping you know that the, the times will get back we'll get back to normal but I think that is in the consideration as well I think also the fact that Liverpool have shown sort of a certain determination when it comes to leading with the uh, Gini Wijnaldum contract situation. I mean, he's 30 years old. Very soon, it could be a possibility he signs a contract, you know, within a matter of weeks with another club. So does Salah want to find himself in that position as well? So I think it is the, the time where conversations and movements around contracts w- would, would start. So for me, there's a lot of cloak and dagger stuff that happens around contracts. It's not as just straightforward as, as signing a contract and, and, and everything going in a straight line. I think Liverpool have proven that the, over the last couple of years that they're, they're quite willing to be bold when it comes to contracts. He didn't go massively out of the way to, to make sure that Emery Chan signed a new contract. He obviously had a, a me- mega offer from Juventus. Sounds like a similar sort of situation with Wijnaldum. So I think he's also at an age where he needs to decide where he wants to be at. I mean, I'll just touch on what I think that the stuff about him being captain is just, he comes across a bit daft, to be honest. I mean, he's, he's, I just think that, you know, barely a few weeks before he missed that, missed games because, because of a COVID test and obviously pictured at a family event, which is, is fine. I understand that. I mean, you still want to be at your family, you know, your brother's wedding. I can totally understand that. But if, if it ends up with him missing games when it's quite clear what the situation and the directive has been, then I can't, I just can't see Jürgen Klopp saying, all right, yeah, we'll make you captain as well in the same month. It just, it goes against all the messages that Jürgen Klopp puts out. So uh, for me, I just think that doesn't add up that to me. I mean, I'll just finish on, on, um, it's been quite interesting overnight because it hasn't really been picked up on too much in the British media, but Mohamed Abu Trikar, who I mentioned in the piece, who he's one of the reasons why Mohamed Salah chooses very carefully what he says and who he speaks to because Abu Trika was the legend in, in Egypt before Salah who has since been put on a terrorist watch list and now lives in exile but Salah's still quite close with him you know he speaks to him regularly and he, he was speaking in um, 
Middle Eastern coverage of, of yesterday's game, saying that he's spoke to Salah after the Crystal Palace game, and there's a very particular issue that he's that he's not particularly happy with. But although he wouldn't go on the record publicly and, and reveal what that was, and he was making the point that if Salah had achieved what he's achieved for Liverpool, for say Real Madrid or Barcelona, then then he would become the World Player of the Year. And I think we need to remember as well that Salah is he he sees the collective success leads to individual notoriety but I think he feels like he's in a position now where you know he's he's desperate to be regarded as one of the great players in world football and you can't blame him for that why why wouldn't he be he is one of the great players in world football and I, I still think that people might not think of him in that way because of what happened to Chelsea it sounds a bit daft but because he failed at Chelsea I think people don't put him in that bracket when for Liverpool he's proven year after year that, that he is in that bracket and so I, th- I think there's possibly some conflicting emotions going around there as well at this moment in time but as James says totally agree I mean why would he go and sign for Real Madrid or Barcelona Sloan at the moment. I mean, the, 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 unless you wanted the, that lifestyle change and everything else, which I, I can understand as well, but but they're, they're not in a sport and sense in a position to go and deliver what he might want to achieve as an individual at this moment, I don't think. Um, but key to this, of course, is, is Barcelona. We've got presidential elections next month and there'll be people who are making big promises to try and win that election. So, yeah, it's, I think it's going to be an interesting story that'll run potentially over the next couple of months. It'll be interesting to see how unravels because it, it's certainly been done for the reason it's not just being done absent-mindedly oh I did an interview and oh these words fell out as some people seem to think there's definitely strategy behind this yeah it's always very cleverly done I, th- I think as well you refer to the interview with Mo uh, Abu Trika there's no way that he's spoken out without Mo Salah being aware that he's going to say his stuff as well. Exactly, exactly. I mean, he, he everybody clings on to his words as well, and he's gone public that he's, he's he's obviously, there's obviously something that he's unhappy with at Liverpool. That doesn't mean he's unhappy at Liverpool, but there's obviously something that has potentially annoyed him. It'd be interesting to find out what that is, but the wheels are in motion. There's, there's, it's either going to go one way or the other. He'll sign a contract that'll keep him at Liverpool for the remainder of his best years, or, you know, Liverpool might decide that, right, he's, he's He's at an age where they, they could sell him potentially and make a lot of money if the money's there. But yeah, it's, it's some big decisions going to have to be made both by the club and the player because it'd be a shame for him to go because I, I think he's an absolutely brilliant footballer and I love watching him play. I love, I've loved seeing his development over the last couple of years. I think he's definitely one of Liverpool's most important players. But yeah, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I mean even when times are great, Kiva, you know, medals, money, love, everything should be fine. But there's always a saga, isn't there? Whether it was a Philip Coutinho or Gini Wijnaldum or now a Mo Salah. Uh, we've, we've got to have something to talk about, haven't we, other than the great football that's on offer. So I think this is just another caveat to that. Conversations about players, you know, and especially with January upcoming, you know, that sort of lark seems to up its pace a little bit, doesn't it? But I'm not too worried about it, to be honest, whether there is a method in the madness or not. It's, you know, he's, he's playing good football for Liverpool at the minute. And I think the most important thing that he said in the interview that he wanted to win the Premier League and Champions League this season. Now, that'll do for me. Liverpool do that. So, you know, it's obviously the future is concerning thing. But as we know, I think, you know, with what's going on in the world, there's, there's much more important things than football, isn't there? Right, back to the Premier League. What's the message that it sends out that Liverpool put six points between themselves and everyone else when they'd won the game? In a week when, when everything feels like it's changed or tilted quite dramatically, Kiva, towards Liverpool. Yeah, I think there was a, a concern, wasn't there, going into the 
the Spurs game. Like I was slightly worried with just how, you know, we know how Mourinho likes to play with this Tottenham team. They've, you know, apart from losing against Everton, they haven't lost in the league. And you were just, you know, wondering whether they could do a job against Liverpool, you know, and Henderson come out after the game and spoke about like, you know, records don't, we're not, we're not in this for records, we're in this for each game and to win them. Um, but obviously Liverpool's unbeaten record from which dates back, I think, from April 2017 when Palace last beat Liverpool, you know, with the last team to do so in the league at Anfield. And, you know, that sort of everything just going into this game felt like, oh no, there's, there's potential here. But as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, that goal was so, so important. I think it was important for the player who scored it and important for the fans who were there and, you know, the wider ramifications of, of how it makes the, the Premier League table look. And I think obviously with Tottenham having been beaten by Leicester as well at the weekend, they're kind of their wheels of, you know, they're, they're not looking as watertight, are they, as, as they once were just this time last week. So I think it puts Liverpool into a, a really strong position, although, you know, Leicester are now just four points off. Man United are five points off with their big win against Leeds and they've got a game in hand. Everton are still, you know, they've come through that tricky period and now they're, they're starting to put uh, wins on the board. And Man City, they, I think they showed what they're all about, didn't they? And there's these teams in the way, but I think the real sort of battle for Liverpool is Man City and I think you have to just keep your eye on them when you, when you look at the Premier League table. Those five or six teams between that, I don't think Liverpool will really be looking at I mean Liverpool will only be looking at themselves and just hoping for you know just to keep the points going up they'll, they'll want two wins to end the year on on a high you know the the top of the league for Christmas Day which is you know the third time now past three years which fans will absolutely love I think you just enjoy your Christmas dinner more don't you when you know Liverpool are top of the league Um that 7-0 just sent out a oh my god that you know the, this is that Liverpool team and, you know, then United go and score six. And while that's impressive, I don't think it was quite as impressive as, as Liverpool putting Palace to the sword. Fantastic. Uh, this is the Red Agenda. I'm Steve Hovers. Or Kiva O'Neill, Simon Hughes and James Pearce. As always, they've got some great articles online at the moment on The Athletic. Let's finish with a look at um, what is traditionally awards season, December. So, James, Jurgen Klopp winning Coach of the Year at the BBC Sports Personality. The team getting the team award. And Jordan getting so, so close to Lewis Hamilton for the main award. But but let's face it, footballers rarely win the main award in that. And great that Liverpool was showcased. Yeah, yeah, certainly, um, you know, deserved recognition for what has been an unbelievable 2020, hasn't it? And um, yeah, I wasn't quite sure about Jürgen's uh, suit and trainer combo. I think that's probably one of the rare mistakes he's he's made. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was great to see them up on that stage and and accepting those awards. And um, yeah, although Jordan just missed out, obviously on the the main award, I think he's a lot more comfortable accepting things on behalf of the team than on behalf of himself. So I think if you'd probably asked him before, Andy, to taken that, getting the uh, it was very Jordan Henderson that taking the the team award and showering everyone else with praise rather than having to deliver a, a victory speech about being crowned sports personality himself. I think he was deservedly in the mix because, you know, not just, you know, we've all seen what he's done, you know, as a, as a footballer and the contribution towards, you know, being the, the, the man who inspired Liverpool to end in that 30-year wait. But I think it's, it's more everything he's done off the pitch in terms of, you know, a, a guy that, you know, has been a privilege to get to know a bit over the years and someone who always goes out of his way to help other people all the work he did you know helping to generate millions of pounds for NHS charities doing all the calls and, and zoom zoom conversations with other Premier League 
uh, captains to to ensure they did their bit when the the pandemic really started to bite. So yeah, great for him. Still not a hundred percent convinced that Lewis Hamilton deserves it when you know he does drive a very very good car. But no, I think it was uh, it was it was it was it was great to see Jordan and Jurgen there collecting collecting awards. And um, yeah, I don't think it will be the last piece of silverware they get their hands on in in the uh, in the in the next twelve months. What what about Jurgen's little dig at Manchester? Which, which I think I think would have made a lot of people laugh over here. I just wonder where, how it might have gone down. Oh, he he knows exactly what to say, doesn't he? He knows. Uh, he knows. Uh, I think he had that one. What had that one lined up, didn't he? So. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think one that Liverpool fans will have enjoyed a lot. The fact him saying it was all the sweeter, the fact that they were uh, triumphing on the on Manchester turf. Uh, let's finish with the fact that there's no Ballon d'Or this year. Uh, widely recognised as the most prestigious award in football. Would any Liverpool players have got in the final shortlist? Let's throw that out to three years. Sai first. Um, I would have had. I would have had the goalkeeper in there. I know he's missed games, but I just think his, when he has played, he's been absolutely outstanding. I think Alisson is the best goalkeeper in the world right now, but I know I understand it's difficult for goalkeepers to go and win these trophies. I think Mane as well, I think, been outstanding throughout. I think the problem for Liverpool is obviously the performance in the Champions League wasn't quite as good as people would have expected. I understand that there's context around why that was the case. But um, but yeah, I think, that, I think those two for me... The one who will feel like he's missed out is obviously Lewandowski, who's scored all the goals, broken all the records and won the Champions League. And I mean, he, he should really be in the reckoning for that. I mean, you, you could also argue, of course, for Thiago, who's the, the best player in the Champions League final. But I know he's obviously missed so much football since signing for Liverpool. But yeah, for, for me, Lewandowski's, um, I do feel a little bit for him because he, he should have been the man. You know, the, I think I'm man. pretty right. In, I think I'm sure I'm right in saying that he would have been the first Polish player to do it as well. So a bit of a shame for him. James? Uh, I'd have had Sadio Mane in my top three, but um, yeah, I agree with Sy. I think I, f- I feel a bit sorry for Lewandowski because I think in a in an era when it's very very difficult to to lay your hands on that prize because because of Messi and Ronaldo's dominance, I think he he deserved it for me this year. Kiva. I actually wrote a piece about Van Dyke because we we done a bit of a fun thing where we all, you know a few different writers um, you know chose a, a player and I I done mine on Van Dyke. I know he's injured right now, but I just feel like you know the impact that that player keeps on having at Liverpool. I mean, even you know the Wolves game, he was just there on the bench, and that's why I'm convinced that's why Liverpool was so dominant. Um, but no, look, Lewandowski definitely should have won it. I'm still sort of scratching my head as as to why they they didn't do it virtually or whatever because I think he's absolutely been robbed, hasn't he, of that? But yeah, I know I know Van Dijk's been injured for a while, but what a player! Guys, you've been absolutely top class. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks to everyone who's uh, listened to the Red Agenda in 2020, reacted to the podcasts, uh, shared them out as well. And this was the last one of this calendar year. So we'll be back in 2021. On behalf of myself, Steve Hothersall, uh, Simon Kiva, James, and James's cat and dog, <laughs> uh, we will see you once again in the new year. Of course, the guys will be writing loads of good stuff over the next couple of weeks. But next podcast will be in 2021. All the best, and we'll see you then. Thank you.